We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report, your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bearport. My name is Andrew Freeman. Of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. say we also have a special guest here today as well, fellow Bearport writer, Montel Hardy. Montel, how are you doing today, man? Doing pretty good, man. Uh, glad to be here with you guys. Uh, how about yourself? How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Excited for the uh, draft. Obviously, driving right now, so not ideal circumstances, but still excited to be here. <laughs> Andrew, how are you? Yeah, I, we're recording this episode on Monday, April 26th, so we are, we're three days away from the draft here. It's going to be two days by the time I'm sure this thing is up and uh, available for everyone to listen here. But yeah, talk about dragging, man. It, yeah, it's, it's been tough the last few days just because you want the draft to get here already, so it's just like hearing all these rumors about what's going to go on and just I, just I just wanted to get here so we can like just get it over with at this point to a small degree but also just I mean there's just so much speculation going on the draft could really go a million different ways with how, how it seems it's going to be going right now oh 100 percent uh it's just uh you know you've got to fill up the news cycle somehow so whatever you can go off of you know people are going to say uh, and then the fun part is on Thursday. I think it makes it that much more exciting when, you know, so many people are wrong and <laughs> it makes it harder to predict. So it, it's a part of the, the fun of the process, I guess. 
Yeah, I, I try to keep note that like not to trust anything that comes out, you know, on Twitter or, or anything, any news yeah. you hear about what's going on, just because it, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. What matters is what goes on on draft day, and then you know, th- then we can do all this, all the an- analysis and speculation from there on. I think probably the best way to handle it. So, uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. what we're we doing for this episode today, kind of <clears throat> do things a little bit different here. This is our pretty much our draft preview special here to kind of put a succinct there there you know uh so what we're gonna be having on for Montel here he's gonna help us out by going over some different prospects here in terms of some guys that we're gonna be higher on and some guys are gonna be lower lower on going into this draft uh only in a few days which is it's pretty pretty crazy here uh we're also gonna do some things in terms of you know some predictions we have for this draft uh talking about what we think the bear strategy with, with this draft will be and uh, some bold predictions just at, at the end of the day, I think is, is just the fun of it here with all the speculation and all the news out there right now. I think that's definitely a good way to go about it. But, you know, Montel, I think we're going to start off right away and just get right into it with uh, our five players that we're higher on. I'll start with you, Montel. Who are the five guys in this draft that, you know, you personally see better than what, you know, the consensus is at this point in time, you know, whatever position it is? Sure. Uh, well, almost based on what people are saying, I almost want to put Justin Fields in that list because I still think people are too low on him, you know. Uh, for, for today, I'll just keep him off. I'll make this more exciting. Uh, I'll say my five that I'm higher on are uh, Kellen Mond, uh, Amonra St. Brown, Rondell Moore, Walker Little, and uh, Patrick Jones, uh, too, from Pittsburgh. Uh, I probably should have added in schools and all those, but, you know, Mon is from a and <laughs> uh, Amonra is from USC, Moore and Little, uh, Purdue, and uh, uh, Stanford. So uh, there you go. Yeah, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on Mon in terms of what round he is, because you know there's a lot of speculation mm-hmm. that he'll be a second round guy. I see him as kind of like a third, fourth round guy. So maybe that's where kind of like the difference may be with our evaluation. But what are some mm-hmm. of the things you see in Mon that you know kind of has him as a guy that you're kind of a little bit higher on as we kind of get into this thing here? Well, I like him right in the third. Really, I mean, I'm not going to be mad if he goes, like, you know, wherever he goes, he goes. I want him in a position where he over-delivers, you know. So, obviously, if you get him top 50, he's going to, you know, it's going to be harder for him to meet expectations, right? So, as someone who likes him, I want to be dra- I want him to be drafted on the lower end of what I see him as. Uh, I like, I think right in the third is kind of, it feels about right. But, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll know on Thursday. But some things I like about him is the ball gets out on time and accurately. He's got a good arm. Uh, decent intellect uh, you know a lot of people say well you know Mon has played there for four years played there forever he's done all that and he's only 11 months older than Trey Lance who's the youngest quarterback in his class I think he still has some things to learn about the quarterback position but I think from a tool standpoint from an intellect standpoint good velocity it's, it's a decent skill set you know you look at uh, guys I mean it, it wouldn't shock me if someone took him and said hey let's play him and the amount of I guess the return on uh uh, your investment might be similar um, to like a Daniel Jones, except the Giants got a guy like that in the first round, right? I feel like Mon can give you what that guy gave you as a third rounder. So um, that, that's the way I'll, I'll put it with him is I think he's got the tools, he's got the intellect, and I think he's just a little bit uh, slept on. I think, I don't really think he goes in a second, but we'll see where it ends up. But I'm higher on him the most just because I, I see him as a third round guy and a guy that can probably at least be a spot starter in the league hang around for a long time. And I feel like if given the right opportunity, he can, you know, fire off a few good years as a starter. Yeah, I would definitely say like the Kellen Mond's interesting for me because like I tweeted this out today and I was just like, 
Kellen Mond's someone that I think is like consistently inconsistent, right? So he's not a player that I would want like the Bears to even consider taking a gamble on because the way I view it is it's just like the guy has everything needed to be a successful quarterback, but the inconsistency overall, and the Bears have seen this the last couple of years, just really tends to hold Mond back. And I think when we talk about a lot of these mid-round prospects, you talk about like a Davis Mills, you know, Jamie Newman. I mean, how many mid-round prospects over the last couple of years have we seen that get drafted on day two or day three that end up being like really good starting quarterbacks? I mean, over the last decade, I can only think of Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson, you know, two day three guys. They get mm-hmm. drafted and the Seahawks and Cowboys like lucked into it. But it's just overall for this quarterback last night. It's like you're going to get your guy in the first round. Anything besides that, like the rest of these guys are all just like projects. Well, I would suggest when you evaluate quarterbacks, you don't look at it as, you know, um, projects after the first round. Uh, guys like Kirk Cousins, you know, they went not in the first, but they had first round ability. Uh, so in my opinion, I think every quarterback class is kind of like its own story to be told, if that makes sense. So whoever goes in the first, sometimes due to misevaluations, isn't always the best guy. Um, sometimes guys uh, later, if afforded the same opportunity, wound up being almost as good or better. Um, I think it looks like the Eagles are going to give a, a spin with Jalen Hurts. Personally, I don't think he has it, but just by starting a few games and not being awful, I think he's kind of proving that maybe if you have a guy that's after the first round, you can maybe win with them, right? So um, I think if you're in a bear situation, there really is no like gold standard of quarterback play that you really have to live up to, unfortunately. I think the quarterbacks they played last year were in the bottom uh, three in the NFL. Um, and so um, really just, just in front of Sam Darnold, who for some reason Bears fan really liked. <laughs> so I, I think when I look at a guy like Mond, uh, I think situation is critical for him. But he could come into the Bears roster right away. Um, I don't think he would win the opportunity over Andy Dalton. But if you groomed him and if Dalton wasn't so good, he could play later in the year and give them something to be excited about. And obviously, you, you make a decision to maybe get a first-round guy later. It's okay to do both. Um, and I think right now the Bears aren't really in a situation where it looks like they can get up in the draft and get the guy they probably should get. So uh, eventually you're going to have to answer that need somehow this year. And I don't know if Dalton will be enough. So um, it's going to be a tough position to be in. It's a really tough position. Uh, with regards to his inconsistencies, I did see some things on tape that made you, you know, wish he could take that extra level, really drive the car a little bit. Um, that offense, uh, you know, I, I mentioned on the, uh, might have been on Twitter and then just some other podcasts I did. Not that great. Uh, his running backs, he's got two running backs that are be great playmakers. You got a real good tight end that's a little young. That offense couldn't really go. Um, it was not, uh, you know, he didn't have special weapons on the outside. They were a very, you know, simple, uh, you know, they didn't do a whole lot of aggressive vertical passing. Uh, so he kind of executed what was uh, what was in front of him. Uh, didn't, didn't shine as much as I thought he would, or I think other people thought he would for such a highly recruited player. But uh, I don't know if inconsistency is a thing. I just think he didn't reach the ceiling that he probably should have reached being a, a five-star recruit. Uh, he didn't really turn the ball over a lot, stayed very healthy, looked very accurate at times. He did struggle with the deep ball, but I, I think we'll see. And I think in terms of this year's class, I just think there's more guys with actual ability outside of the first round than you typically see. Last year, I don't think there was a question, you know, about the same questions that we were having, you know, uh, this year about guys after the first round potentially being talented. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, ability definitely is not the question mark with Mond whatsoever. You know, 
I don't know how you feel about this comparison, uh, Montel. I kind of like, I see a lot of like, kind of like a Marcus Mariota in this game in terms of, you know, he does have plus arm strength. He has a little bit of really good mobility when he does use it. But I kind of question at times, kind of like a robotic kind of sense, you know, with the way he kind of plays the game. I'm not sure that's just the oh, way yeah. he caught it. Oh, yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. yeah. So getting him to loosen yeah. up a little bit at the next level, I think is going to be key because he does have, you know, some ability to make plays off schedule. And mm-hmm. I, I would just personally mm-hmm. see a little bit more of that. But you do mention, you know, the durability thing here with Mon being a plus for him going to the next level here. One other guy I want to, you know, you to touch on here that was on your list uh, was a guy that wasn't very durable uh, in college. And that's Walker Little out of Stanford. So what can you tell me about Walker yeah. Little? Because he's a guy that we haven't really talked about in this podcast, but he's kind of like a mystery, it seems like, going into this process. Because the last time we really saw him play was in 2018. And, you know, that's a long time ago. So I, it, it's really tough to get a full evaluation on a guy who doesn't have any meaningful tape in, you know, two or three years, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he kind of ran into a bad situation. I think he, you know, he was considered to be the consensus, you know, OT1 actually going into the 19 draft. And he got hurt his knee. I think it was an ACL. And then he opted out of this year. So, um, you know how it is. If you're not, if your tape's not out there every day, people are going to forget about you. But uh, and in a year like this, where a lot of people's medicals, one of scores, everything you like to use to evaluate a player outside of tape has just been thrown up in the air. I have to kind of, you know, uh, sing the praises of Walker Little just off the tape he did it. The 18 tape was awesome. It was great. And as someone that was, what, maybe a redshirt sophomore at the time, what he was doing was pretty special. I mean, he stonewalled a lot of the guys uh, he played against, the Northwestern game, the bowl game. He was dominant. He put a lot of great um, uh, reps on tape. And uh, I liked his skill set and his athleticism. He was explosive. He could bend. And he was huge. Not too many guys at 6'6 and change, about 320 and change, can move the way he did. And I just, uh, I really think it deserves a little bit more mention. I'm not, you know, hyping them up, driving them in the first round or anything. But uh, I do think teams should all do their homework on him, work him out, get the medical information. And if it looks like something like uh, he can still play, he shouldn't be on a pitch count. And most importantly, if he looks as explosive as he did uh, on tape when he took his last few college reps, to me, it's, it's a no-brainer. You, you want him day two. I would not leave day two without him. And this is in the deep tackle class. I would still take him probably uh, late uh, round three at the latest. Yeah, I think that's a good way to transition then to – you said your list of top five guys here that you're kind of a little mm-hmm. bit higher on. You say uh, – yeah. take me through your list and, and see uh, where you're at with some of these five guys uh, you said. Yeah, so my number one guy that I'm higher on would be Eric Stokes, the cornerback from Georgia. I think just in a year where – you have so many cornerbacks, you know, Stokes is one of those guys that kind of slipped through the cracks. And then another guy I really like is wide receiver Elijah Moore. I believe he's at Old Miss, you know, really a speedy slot receiver that I think could fit a team like the Saints, for example, because they just like to put their playmakers all over the place. And then I like, you know, two edge rushers here, Joe Tyron and Joseph Asai. Tyron's been a guy from Washington that I've been high on since the fall. I know we discussed him like once or twice on the podcast. And then Osai, obviously from Texas, I think that Osai hands down has the highest ceiling of any of these edge rusher prospects. And then the fifth guy I have is tight end Brevin Jordan from Miami, who really is someone that fits the modern NFL game. Hmm. That's actually pretty interesting. Uh, I think Brevin, well, where do you have Brevin? When you say you're high on him the most, where does that, where does that put him in the draft? Team? I mean, 
Yeah, so I have him, like, as my fifth highest prospect. Um, I would say that, like, in terms of tight ends, he's my clear, like, tight end three at this point. Um, oh, you're you know, fifth you have... highest at the position? Is that, that, was, that was what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. My fault. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> yeah, Jordan's really interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, he was a guy who's kind of billed as, you know, an athletic, you know, kind of that you tight end that like Nagy talks about a lot for his offense, a guy that splits out wide or in the slot can move all mm-hmm. over the formation, but his testing numbers at his pro day didn't really reflect that, which was kind of disappointing. You know, you look at him in some of these mock drafts, yeah. kind of build as like a third round type of guy. I kind of see him as like a late second, early third. So it's going to be really interesting where he goes. Cause I think situation is going to be huge for him. Cause I don't know if he's like a really an inline type of guy. He seems like a guy that you want to move all, all over the place in terms of in the backfield in the slot. I think he's, I think he's at his best in the slot, but, mm-hmm. uh, he, he, you know, you watch him play, he does have that after the catch ability. I think that's his best trait, to be honest, there is really to get yards after the catch. Yeah, uh, with Brevin, uh, well, you saw a little bit, I saw a little bit of the testing on the tape, just uh, from a lateral movement standpoint. You know, there's times where Miami will flip the ball out to him in space, like he's a, you know, like super dynamic, but, you know, he's not going to, you know, shake people out of their shoes. He's not going to, you know, make a ton of people miss by moving laterally. Um, but I do like for a tight end, he still has above average ability to get out of breaks. You know, he's a decent lateral mover, but I think that Miami's tape put him uh, in a situation at times where they thought he was almost like Kyle Pitts or just some type of dynamic mover. And he just wasn't quite that. But with that said, yeah, I think his skill set's very good. I think if you have him in the third round, I could buy that. I, I could buy that more than I could some of the other names I've been hearing a tight end in the third round. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with it. Uh, with Elijah Moore, I thought that was awesome, too. See, I feel like most people are high on him. If not, have a conversation with me. I'll make sure you're high on the guy. But if you're not high on uh, Elijah Moore, I agree. You should totally be high on him. I think when I was doing a mock last week, it, he when you said the Saints, it, it hit me, too. Because when I was doing the mock, I didn't mock him to the Saints. But that's what I thought is that he could really feel that that Brandon Cooks role that was there you know what I'm saying complimenting Michael Thomas on the other end so that that'd be really really interesting if they did take a look at him and for what you know uh Sean Payton does within that offense even if they did it in the first I, I don't know that I'd hate the pick you know a lot of people see him as a second round guy I don't I don't know if I hate him in the right situation in the first round so um totally agreed on that um what, what was there a third guy uh well no there are five guys right what was the what were the other few? I'm just curious because I feel like there was one more I was really uh, into. Yeah, it was Joseph Asai from Texas. Oh, yeah, yeah, Asai. Um, see, the funny thing is that um, everything checks out, like, from a production standpoint. Like, he did a really good job with his market share in terms of uh, sacks and tackles for loss. Um, I think on a tape at times that he did kind of feel like uh, he struggled at the point of attack. There were some power questions I had, but he really checks as many or more of the boxes as anyone in this class at the edge rusher position. So I can't, you know, I can't hate on the guy. Uh, if people are low on him, I mean, I could believe that people are low on him, but I, uh, I'm, I'm bought in. I think he's going to be a really good player. Yeah, I think the uh, the one tape that might cap people lower on him is uh, Tevin Jenkins against, you know, when they play each other. <laughs> Tevin Jenkins absolutely yeah. destroyed him in that game. Yeah, I, I, did, I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't yeah. want to bring it up. but I, I, I feel like it's more about, like, Tevin Jenkins just being, you know, awesome because that's what Tevin Jenkins is as a player. Yeah, yeah, he made himself a lot of money that game, and it was just yeah. – 
for three quarters. I mean, he beat him down pretty good. But to a size credit, you know, in the fourth quarter, he got the best of them, had that sack to win the game. I'm sure you saw that at the end. You know, there was a couple couple things there where he still didn't quit, you know. But after that game, I had questions about his ability at the point of attack just from a power standpoint. But aside, does a lot of other things. And uh, for someone that actually is a converted linebacker, right? So that guy was supposed right. to be playing Mike or Buck, but they put him on the edge and say, hey, go rush the passer. For someone that's, you know, hasn't really done this, uh, his whole career, I think he did a really good job. Yeah. I think Tampa Bay would be the, or Baltimore would be the two perfect spots for him, I think, because Tampa mm-hmm. Bay, you have those, you have Barrett there, you have Jason Pierre Paul there. That could really help uh, him develop, I think, two veteran guys that, uh, you know, I've done a really oh, yeah. good job in this league here. And then Baltimore, they just, they, they develop edge rushers like crazy. Mm-hmm. They're just really good with developing these guys. But I guess it's a good way to get to my list then uh, for my top five guys here. So I'll start yeah. with an edge here for um, the guys I'm higher on. Uh, Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa, a sleeper guy. I see as like a late day two, early day three pick here. Uh, but really impressed mm-hmm. with the senior bowl. Go uh, wide receiver here, Dwayne Eskridge out of Western mm-hmm. Michigan. I uh, talked about him a ton on this podcast. He's one of my favorite players in this draft. Uh, running back Michael Carter out of North Carolina. He's a guy that, I actually ranked him as my number one running back in this class. Um, I, I just like a lot about him uh, in terms of what he brings, in terms of changing speeds. Uh, I think he has untapped ability in the passing game as a receiver as well. Um, I like a lot of things about Mike Carter there. Uh, a surprising one here, often tackles Samuel Cosme, because I, I think my people, a lot of people may be surprised with that just because, you know, always he's, he's this highly touted, you know, off the tackle prospect. But I, I've been seeing a lot of mocks and, and a lot of other guys in draft Twitter kind of put him as like a second round talent in this draft. I think he's definitely a, a firmly a first round talent, at least for me personally, just because mm-hmm. athletic ability is just off the charts in my, in my opinion. And then cornerback Paulson Adebo, another guy that was an opt out and kind of had some question marks about him cornerback from Stanford. Uh, he's a guy, if you're watching his 2018 tape, I mean, this guy is, <laughs> he'd be up there, I think as a first round talent, the cornerback position, but you know, he struggled in 2019. Um, and then opted out on 2020, but I think the ability is there. He's a guy that can play on the outside and the Bears, they need an outside cornerback, obviously with Kyle Fuller being released. So maybe he's a guy in the third round that can maybe get at pick 83, but I think he's a second round talent. In my opinion, I, I like a lot about, about a Debo there. Uh, any, any problems with this list here, Montel, in terms of am I crazy with any of these guys or maybe a little bit too high on some of these guys here? Uh, tell me your last guy again. You mentioned the name. I know he opted out. A few people opted out. I just didn't catch his name on that. Tell me. Yeah, quarterback Paulson Adebo from Stanford. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That's actually a guy. He fits, I think, with the Bears. I mean, because defensively, they might go back to some of the – well, I guess it all starts with, you know, what is Sean Desai going to get in terms of this draft? Is he going to get guys he wants as a new D.C.? Is it going to be like paces call no matter what? And the all, the other question is just, does Son decide like some of the same guys that Vic Fangio used to like? He liked his, well, he didn't really put uh, a premium on corners. I mean, we had some pretty good corners, but for his system, I don't think, you know what I'm saying? He would have demanded a first round corner. So that's going to be interesting. And then the second, the third part of that is just, uh, if he does, he likes longer guys, you know, uh, right. physical guys with a chest on them. That, that, that's kind of what uh, I, Paulson strikes me as someone that can maybe succeed in press man, someone that can run um, and, and someone that can play the run too and be physical. Um, I saw a little bit of that on tape. So I, I like it. You know, I'm really curious to see what they do 
with their defensive backfield in this draft. There's so many ways to address it, and it needs to be addressed. So I want to know what level of urgency that they're going to take. So, yeah, I, I fully agree. Uh, I like him. Uh, I agree with you on the Cosme uh, mention. I think he's a really good player, and it's just so many people are battling for um, – uh, status as a first round tackle in this class right. is just that deep. Like, I really think what happened is, you know, just the guy we just mentioned, I think everyone fell in love with Tevin Jenkins as you saw his stock go up, right? Cosby's came down. Cosby's stack went up mid season as Eichenberg's stock went down a little bit. So it's just, you know, all these guys are just kind of fighting. Uh, once again, you know, you had a little bit, if you were to have a little bit of a clear cut combine and you saw the drills, everything together as a crowd, you might have a little bit more of a, a consensus that that guy's there. But I've decided, I mean, I have the guys I like at the top, but even if he goes in the second round, there's going to be someone there, probably even late second, that shouldn't be there, that's going to start and probably play a long time at tackle. I've already accepted it, you know. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, but I, I, I think that's just, a great list. Oh yeah, go yeah. ahead. No, I was just saying, that's a great list overall. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree with more of your picks. They were all awesome. So, yeah. It's it's funny, this offensive tackle class, I feel like all these guys are going to go either very early yeah. just because, you know, tackle mm -hmm. is just a premium position. These, they're going to want to get these guys as early as they can, or these guys are going to get pushed on the board just because, again, mm -hmm. there's just so many of these guys available that some of these teams yeah. may feel like, okay, maybe we'll get another position first and get a tackle later just because there's just so many guys here to go after. But, uh, yeah, Cosmo yeah. is very interesting. We'll see what happens on draft day. I, I think that's a good way to kind of transition then to five guys we're low mm -hmm. on. You know, we talk about some guys yeah. that we're higher on. You know, Montel, I'll start with you. Who are some of the guys that you're lower on in this class? Yeah, uh, no doubt. Uh, I'm probably going to be booted off, off the show after I finish this list because my <laughs> list isn't very fun. But uh, guys, I'm lower on. Okay, so I'm lower on Mac Jones. I'm lower on Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Hmm, uh, he's the uh, linebacker from uh, Notre Dame. I'm lower on Jalen Twyman. I'm very low on Chubba Hubbard, the running back from Oklahoma State, mm -hmm. and I'm low on Patrick Satan Jr. So those are uh, five guys I'm low on. Uh, with regards to, I really, you know, with Mac Jones, I just think I have to be too low on him because if you talk about him at three, I mean, I just it's, it's not fair to anyone. <laughs> you know, even if you like Mac Jones, I don't know that you say, yeah, three is when you take him. So um, by default, I would say I'm, I'm too low on him. Uh, I get the, the love for him. Uh, there's some things he can do well. I would just say that a big trait for me is arm strength in combination with everything it takes to be a quarterback. So it's one of those things where it's like if you have everything but the arm strength, it's like I still can't promise that you'll deliver as an NFL quarterback. And it takes so much, you know, to be an NFL quarterback that if you're missing the one thing, you know, it sucks. Uh, but it's very important, uh, at least to me. Uh, he is accurate. He does seem to uh, he does seem to avoid, uh, keep the team on schedule and avoid turnovers. That's important. He, he can do that at the next level. I just don't know about his ability to like elevate, you know, like a roster, a team around him, make guys better. Um, if you don't have a ton of weapons around him, what is it going to look like? If you have unstable coaching around him, what is it going to look like? If you don't run the ball a lot, what is it going to look like? And those are all situations that rookies face every day in NFL, you know? So, especially when you're taking high. Uh, so we'll, we'll see where he ends up. Uh, but like I said, I think that's a guy if if that guy, if Mac Jones played in Middle Tennessee, we'd be talking about fifth round, fourth round, you know, like that. That's that's where I'm at with him. Uh, Jeremiah Usukoromoa, I think he's going to be a really good player. I think uh, I've seen some tweets. Some people have him as their number one safety. 
I think that's really interesting. Um, that's not necessarily like how I feel, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think that's really interesting take. Uh, I'd like to see him, you know, play safety and see where it goes. But personally to me, I think he's best served leaning into a linebacker role in NFL or just playing closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, I find him as a prototypical rover, which does more linebacker things from a cover standpoint. You know, you're going to be on tight ends, on backs in the backfield. You're going to be blitzing. Uh, I think that's where he can make his uh, best living there. And so I just don't um, like in terms of covering an NFL slot receiver, I'm not sold that he can do it. Did it a couple times in college, but also got done up in space a couple times in college. So, you know, we'll see what happens at the next level. I'm just not sold he can be that dynamic honey badger type player. And I think that's what he's being billed as. And it's just not fair. It's not fair. Honey Badger was totally different coming out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That was, that was a different player. Um, and this is a guy who also had off the field issues, but still, you know, had a little bit better tape. Uh, Twyman, I uh, just, I rarely, well, first off, this defensive line class as a whole, I'm not super high on, on the interior, especially. Uh, just as someone who really loves watching that tape, I just, too many guys that were highly touted just came away with disappointing tape, in my opinion. Uh, Twyman, unfortunately, was one of them. I think they have a deep defensive line at Pitt. I think they play hard. They play in a great system. And there's some really good younger guys that remember the name DeAndre Jules. You hear about him in a year. That guy's going to be special. I, I recruited him a few years ago. That's going to be a really good player. Um, but Twyman specifically, he's just, uh, he's really heavy, but he's not very powerful. Um, he's added weight, and I think people assume he's more powerful. No, sometimes that weight is fat. It's bad weight. And so it's, no, it's just not going to work out the way people think. Uh, Chubber Hubbard, um, it, it was, if you watch, well, to his credit, I'm going to start this way. Aside from uh, Tevin Jenkins and maybe one other guy, Oklahoma State's offensive line was one of the worst I've watched all last year. On the left side, there was an interior guard, maybe the left, I can't remember the left or the right guard, but if you watch a few games, they have some really bad reps back to back. So to his credit, he did not have a great offensive line. Offense in general at Oklahoma State really looked like a struggle. But uh, still, there it seemed apparent to me that Chuba might be the second, uh, on a good day, the second best running back on the team. Uh, there are times, uh, I can't remember his backup's name at the time, but you saw more explosiveness, more ability to break tackles. Uh, I think Chuba has really good balance. I think he does well after contact. He reminds me of uh, it, almost like a David Montgomery, except at times Montgomery was more uh, productive against similar competition, right? Because they both played in the Big 12. Uh, and you could almost say Montgomery situation is hard because he had less playmakers around him. And mind you, I'm not even the biggest Montgomery fan, but uh, that guy isn't as good as David Montgomery, <laughs> you know? And I think he was being billed really high. Uh, you know, the rest of these guys, Sertan, uh, he's just really grabby on the tape. He's really, really, really needs to clean up his technique at the next level. Because if you don't play at Alabama, a lot, if you played at any other school, I think he would have been called a lot more. I think... Uh, in the NFL, they call him a lot more because it's more of an offensive, even more of an offensive league. Uh, so he has some technique work to do. Um, <clears throat> for someone that big, you know, that imposing physical stature doesn't play out in the running game the way you want it to. He's turned some things down on tape, not as physical as he looks. And then uh, I have questions, you know, like I said, I'm going to gripe about this whole time, but with no combine, you know, people opt out of drills they didn't want to do. He didn't look like he moved his hips that well to me on tape. And then with not, you know, no agility drills, I, I don't, it's just hard for me to say, yeah, top 10, because that's what he's been mocked at, right? Everyone thinks Dallas is on him at top 10, or maybe Arizona gets in if he falls. So um, I just, maybe late first, you know, but I just, I can't, I can't say I'm that high on him. Um, and I think I got to everybody. Yeah, all fire. Yeah, I so, think, uh, 
Yeah, you say go ahead. Well, go ahead. Well, mm-hmm. Let me ask you regarding Sertain because it's interesting because I feel like, mm-hmm. do, do you think with Sertain what it is, it's a lot of just like, oh, well, he's an Alabama prospect, so he's just going to have a smooth transition to the NFL. Do you think that's the case surrounding him? It's just the fact that, well, yeah. he went to the school, so he'll be totally fine. Like, no reason to look at the technique. Because when I went back and I watched Sertain, mm-hmm. I was almost of the opinion, all right, mm-hmm. Sertain's good, but he's not, like, as good as, you know, teams or just as, like, the general, like, fan base and, like, draft Twitter and draft communities mm-hmm. are making him out to be. Yeah, I 100% agree. <clears throat> and part of that is, yeah, the NFL teams, I think, think that, you know, he's getting that pro coaching already. And part of it is, you know, to his credit, Nick Saban gets a strong staff. I think we see it every year. He'll connect the coach that was a head guy somewhere or an NFL guy somewhere. And so they are a part of the staff. So there are a lot of great uh, defensive minds in the room with him. So intellectually, who knows what he's capable of? Maybe he can absorb a playbook. Maybe he will work hard or refine his technique. But, um, yeah, I think he's getting that Alabama bump. Uh, people see he plays for Saban. They see he plays hard. Uh, and they say, yeah, maybe we'll, you know, give it a shot. Uh, he, he reminds me a little bit of what Trey Waynes was coming out of Minnesota. Um, people, uh, to his credit, though, Trey Waynes cleaned up his t- technique uh, almost immediately uh, and really kind of battled it out to, you know, build a, a career for himself. But uh, Waynes was, you know, someone that was looked at to be an immediate showstopper at corner. You know, he was supposed to be coming in and, you know, be dominant. Uh, so didn't quite live up to the billing, but he, he made himself a good career. And I think Sertain, at the end of the day, has a chance to do the same thing. I just don't know if he's that you know, that Patrick Peterson type guy that, you know, is super big and fast and it's going to come right in and shut things down. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't say Sertan's on that level of a Peterson. I mean, Patrick Peterson is just a special talent in general just to get it all. Yeah, I've, yeah, yeah, I've heard some lofty comparisons, but you're right. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put him there either. Hopefully people aren't doing that in, in masses anyway. Peterson was just... He was awesome. <laughs> yeah, he was incredible. Um, yeah, I think uh, looking at some of the other guys here, Chuba Hubbard, I think what hurt him was going back to school for another year. If he would have, I think, gone out in the draft a year earlier, yeah. probably would have gone drafted a little bit higher. So that kind of hurts mm-hmm. him, I, I think, a little bit. And, you know, with Elusive Koromoa, I feel like, one, I see him as a linebacker as well. I think the comparison is more like a – he compares more to like a Roquan Smith rather than a, a Tyron Matthew, in my opinion. Just that, that speedy linebacker just – He's not going to take on blocks at the next level very well, but just sign the sideline, covering backs out of the backfield. That's where I see him, you know, having his best yeah. game in the NFL. Um, he's one of the, that's really one of the reasons why I think he's a number one linebacker in this class, just because I feel like he has a he has the potential to be a, a complete eraser in terms of running backs and tight ends in coverage. And I think that's where he brings the most value, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I think he can. I think and maybe it's just through what I'm hearing people want to do with him. But if you're evaluating him as strictly like a guy that's a Mike or even just a buff, you know, a guy that's going to be a little bit more rangy, cover half the field. If you limit his assignments to running backs and tight ends, I'm kind of excited to see what it looks like for him. What I'm afraid of is you think you have like a, you know, people try to use him the way they did Sue Cravens coming out and they just say, oh, well, let's play him at safety here. You know, it's a running down. Let's play him at safety. Let's bring him up close on third down and see if he can cover the slot. You know, I'm pumping the brakes on that. But yeah, if you're leaning into him being a Mike, I can buy into saying, hey, yeah, that's a guy in the right system first round, you know, uh, take him. But don't, you know, don't overextend that guy. You know, I want him in a situation where he over delivers. So absolutely. Uh, you said we'll go to you here now. Uh, who are your five guys that you're a little bit lower on in this class? So I have a bit of an interesting list as well, just because some of these guys I was kind of higher on back in the fall. But obviously, as we've gotten like more tape, 
and more information and we've gone through pro days rankings have kind of shifted but i have number one Kadarius tony from florida i know everyone's just like tony's a prospect that is a first-round talent a really hard runner as head coach dan mullen described in we're at florida's pro day but my biggest thing with tony is this is the guy needs to learn to just – he needs to brush up on his route running, basically. I think when you look at wide receivers overall, I mean, one of the big things we look for is route running. And there's been examples of prospects that have come out over the last couple of years. Cortland Sutton was one in 2018. Everyone looked at him as being kind of a A.J. Green light, let's say, but his biggest issue was that he could not run routes properly while in college, and naturally you've seen it like he struggled at the next level. And so Tony, for me, kind of reminds me of like Cordero Patterson in the sense of, all right, he's going to be a really good special teams player, but in terms of how he can fit in an offense, I'm not really sure he can kind of be the first round wide receiver that some of the major media outlets have like dubbed him to be. And then number two, I have Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. Look, I think with Leatherwood, he could be, he's a bit of a confusing prospect for me because he's played at guard. He's played at offensive tackle. All right, his best suit is as a run blocker. Overall, though, sometimes you just feel like he does get too aggressive, which then actually tends to hurt him uh, just when he's playing in general. And then Jay Tufili from USC is my number three guy, a player who going in was considered by many to be the number one overall uh, defensive lineman in this class. I think at the next level, he'll be a two or he'll be a three, a true three technique player. Uh, pretty explosive, but I would say just like the inexperience there is um, one big thing that like really sticks out for me, as well as like I think Tufili's get off is just like is good, but it's not great. I wouldn't say that his get off is like as good as like Barmore's or like Levi Ornzu Werke from I believe Washington State. And then um, Kellen Mann, number four, I already discussed, you know, a player who's got everything, but just in, too inconsistent across the board. Although Mann was highly productive at Texas A&M. And then my fifth guy, I just dropped a scouting report on, on him on the website. It's Jalen Mayfield from Michigan. I think with Mayfield, you know, you have some people questioning, should he move inside the guard? But as a right tackle, I mean, he's got like whatever, 15 starts played in 18 games. But then he just needs to learn to, like, be better when it comes to controlling his body. And then, you know, there are times where it's like you see he exposes his chest too quickly, which I really think that at the next level is going to be a problem because defensive linemen are going to take advantage of that. And they're just going to, boom, swoop right past him. Mm -hmm. I, I agree 100%. That's a, I mean, that's a really awesome list. I mean, first off, with Kadarius Tony, it's kind of the same way. Um, I feel about him. Uh, this is a guy, he was a, you know, recruiter as an athlete, he played quarterback in high school, um, didn't really start playing receiver until he was at Florida. And I think it's showed a lot of times on tape. Uh, he knows, he needs to get better at running routes. He needs to get better at becoming a blocker and caring about blocker, blocking as a wide receiver. Uh, so there's just a lot of uh, soft edges to his game. And, uh, and one thing you got to think about is uh, Tony was pretty much a wrestler junior. So uh, for all the athleticism and things you love, imagine being that athletic and still not getting on the field, right? So I think there's something going on up here that maybe, you know, the guy might not have, you know, like maybe he's not, you know, uh, studying, maybe he's not working hard. Uh, we all know about there's a couple of smaller off the field things. So, uh, yeah, I think if you get Tony, you may end up with one of those get the ball in your hands kind of guys, not someone that can necessarily get open, manufacture his own production uh, without being schemed open, you know, and those, those types of things. So you may have a, like a poor man's Kadero Patterson um, out the gates. Uh, so 
Yeah, uh, I agree. I think that's something uh, to think about. Uh, Jay uh, uh, from USC, Jay Tufeli, um, I feel the same way. Another uh, underwhelming interior defensive lineman. I thought he'd be really good. Uh, it was okay at times. I thought uh, he competed. He's a sure tackler. That he did close the deal whenever he got there. But yeah, I don't. I don't know if I liked him a ton either. So uh, full agreement with a lot of those. I think that's a really good list. Guys are just kind of underachieved and, and didn't uh, figure it out. Uh, Mayfield especially. Uh, liked his twitch, but yeah, in terms of any type of other movement, uh, not so much. Uh, I would rank him slightly above Jackson Carmen because he's just a better, more willing bender. But yeah, another underwhelming guy who, you know, this was back in the fall, people were very high on, you know, it just things just kind of tapered off more. Yeah, I think just one final point here before we get to your list, Andrew. I think like this year, what's so intriguing to me is that you have a number of players who in the fall, kind of like Montel alluded to, like Tony, like Leatherwood, for example, you know, even Jalen Mayfield. I mean, everyone was projecting these guys to be like super high draft picks, you know, in the sense that they were like either going to be like first or second round guys. And now all of a sudden we've seen like there's just been a significant drop off. And to me overall, just one of my biggest takeaways regarding this class is when we look back at it in a couple of years, maybe one of the things we'll say is, damn, maybe this class is just like not as deep at certain positions yeah. like we thought. Like, yeah. okay, offensive tackle, yeah. you have your guys in the first round, but then like you have Redunes, you have um, Eichenberg, you know, Carmen, a couple other guys, mm -hmm. but then you also have these guys like Mayfield. Well, I know Mayfield at one point was being talked about as a first round pick. I mean, same oh, thing sure. with Tufili, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. being talked about mm -hmm. as the number one interior defensive lineman. It is just a really weak class. And same thing with um, uh, with Kadarius Tony as well. Yeah, you guys yeah. spoiled Milas a little bit going from uh, Jalen Mayfield and Jackson Carmen. You mentioned him, uh, Montel. Those were two of my big names on my list, actually, for guys I'm lower on. And it's kind of like, uh, so I'll just go through my, my list here and then get to those guys. Yeah. Uh, so May Mayfield and Carmen, uh, those are two big names here for me on my list. Uh, and then I have on here Davis Mills, quarterback out of Stanford, uh, Edge Patrick Jones out of Pittsburgh, and then Tutu Atwell from Louisville, wide receiver. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll start off with uh, Mayfield and Carmen because they're kind of similar players in that both these guys are – they play mm -hmm. tackle in college. But I, I see them both as better fits at guards because I don't think they have the foot speed to mm -hmm. handle edge rushers on the edge there. And that's really my biggest worry. You know, everyone talks about, especially with Mayfield, how he's such a good athlete. And it really doesn't reflect itself, I think, first of all, in the testing numbers at his pro day. But I watch him on the field. He just doesn't have the ability in his kick slide to match these edge rushers on these speed rushes, it seems like. And I don't know if that's like a mm -hmm. technical error, but he, he, seems have, he seems to have really clunky feet. And the same thing with Jackson Carmen. We saw it in the uh, game against Ohio State in the uh, football in playoff, uh, college football playoff. He just could not handle – speed yeah up. he just puts he just puts people in the headlock if you're if you're yeah. fast and you can bend carmen says oh, i'm not doing this with you today i'm just gonna put you in this headlock <laughs> you yep. got away with so many holding calls and then at times he didn't get away with holding calls and his technique was the same the same throughout you know he did not try to bend and get there with the edge rushers and i'm like well what do you think the nfl is mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i'm saying I'm like what do you think these guys right like i feel like so, both yeah. of them will be pretty good like run blockers in the nfl like i don't have any issues with them there i think i think both of them have that ability but mm -hmm. i kick him inside the guard and mm -hmm. try him out there because i feel like their size and their athleticism there is a lot more functional on the inside rather than the outside that's just my opinion with those two and then i'll go with davis mills here because kind of similar to your conversation about like mac jones how you know, Mac Jones, limited arm strength there, not a guy that has really many special traits when you really look at it. 
And Mills is like that to like a 10th degree, it seems like. Cause I, he's a guy that got a lot of hype as like a five-star recruit, had a knee mm-hmm. injury, took him a while to kind of mm-hmm. get going at Stanford, not a lot of experience there. But I watched about five or six games of him, both in 2020 and 2019. Cause I wanted to see what everyone was getting hyped up about. I, I just didn't see anything. There just wasn't one trait. There wasn't one singular trait to me. That I said, wow, this guy, okay, he may not have this, but maybe he has this rely on the NFL. I didn't see it. Arm strength was fine, but nothing special. Mm-hmm. Accuracy, I feel like he's fine over the middle of the field in some of the short stuff, but anything outside the hashes, he really Yeah, opinion, even some mind. of those little swing passes, you know, he just yep. couldn't, you know, the ones behind the line. I, that really made me feel funny because he missed a mm-hmm. few of those on the tape. And it's like, how do you, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, yeah. that's a mechanical issue. Uh, yeah, I agree with Mills and it, it is what it is. Uh, hype is going to happen uh, with the draft and, and there's guys where if no one were talking about them, you could say, well, you know, maybe I can appreciate a Davis Mills and, you know, early day three or whatever. Mm-hmm you know, some people may take them day two and you you just whatever, you know, but now it's like, oh, I'm really excited. Davis Mills is, you know, no, no. I just, one thing I did like about him that you didn't necessarily even see with Mac Jones is there was a little bit of ability to make a play when things broke down. There's a little bit of, okay, I'll flip it out to the back. I'm going to be resourceful, you know. Uh, NFL backups need that. I think he can be a fine backup in the league. Uh, I don't know that he's the starter. People think he is, uh, and and it's due to arm strength, some of the accuracy things, and uh, you know he wasn't necessarily ripping it at Stanford. You know they were a run-based offense. They did, you know, they passed when they had to. Uh, at times they may have opened it up and trusted him more, but you know that, that just wasn't what they did. And so yeah, I'm, I'm not not super high on Mills, but I, I'm with you. I think people are higher on them than you know maybe they should be. Uh, and then just going back to the Jackson Carmen thing, I think, you know, uh, scouts, I feel like are going to love him because he has like a beautiful body. Like he looks like a dude, you know what I'm saying? With this, you know, shirt off, whatever. That, that's what scouts love. They don't say that, but they love seeing guys with their shirt off that look good. <laughs> that's what, uh, if you ever see a bad uh, evaluation or a bad uh, draft selection, it's probably based on that. Uh, so uh, Mayfield, on the other hand, uh, you know, a little bit more sloppily built. He may take a bit of a nosedive. I would not be shocked if this, you know, it's early day three and people are talking about why is he still there? Well, and just final note, totally unrelated, but, you know, everyone loves Michigan and Michigan recruiting, but too many of those guys, you know, all those five-star guys when it comes down to the draft uh, suddenly aren't, you know, the prospect we think they are, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So maybe that's something, you know, all these five-star guys, you know, Ohio State's five-star guys look great when it comes to being mm-hmm. draft time. For some reason, Michigan's five-star guys are just not so good. So, not a lot of development know. going on there, it seems yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of development and uh i don't know sometimes uh you know stars can be uh very arbitrary you know maybe you know some schools can make a call and get someone's rating boosted up <laughs> but yeah uh but yeah i love your list though uh, i'm 100 with it and uh it feels good that we're on the same page with a lot of these guys you know yeah i felt like we might well i you mentioned patrick jones the guy you're a little bit higher on um i guess that might be one thing there um, I did, but when I'm higher on him, I don't necessarily think that's a guy. I mean, I guess, okay, if, if you viewed him as like a first-round guy and I say I'm mm-hmm. higher, you know, like, okay, or if I view him as a first-round guy and I say yeah. I'm higher on him than most, then, yeah, I get it. I just think in a matchup lead where you say – because we've seen him – I saw him get washed away a couple times against the run. Mm-hmm. But then there's games like the Louisville game 
Uh, and then there's some other games, uh, I want to say it was Miami, where, you know, third down, pins their back, good get off, gets after the passer. So to me, if you get them in the middle rounds and you say, hey, you know, you're going to go get the quarterback on third down because we don't have anyone that can move like you do. I think it'd be a very productive situation of pass rusher. Um, some people were saying, you know, well, I guess I'm not going to worry about what other people stand. But to me, mm-hmm. there'll be a phase where a size gone, all your top favorite guys are gone. There's going to be a huge gap of time where no one's going to be picked. If Robert, uh, if Patrick Jones is the next guy, I'm okay with it. You know what I'm saying? So it'll probably be like round three ish. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can see round three working. It. You know, yeah. I, I saw him a yeah. little bit at the uh, senior bowl. I was, I was mm-hmm. able to see him up close down there. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, he just underwhelmed me at the Senior Bowl. And, uh, you know, yeah. I was getting a lot of day two consideration, obviously. I honestly felt like his teammate Rashad Weaver actually had a better Senior Bowl and kind of impressed me a little bit more when I went back and watched mm-hmm. him a little bit. Weaver's kind of an interesting player in his own right, kind of this lengthy, um, bigger edge guy that you know, can do a little bit yeah. of different things here and there with his length. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just a feeling I got watching Jones. I just didn't see anything that wowed me a little bit, but I, I can see why some people like him. It's just for me personally, seeing him up close, it didn't really click with me. And, and some of these guys, I think a lot of it's just you have the expectation going into it and you want it to click for you. Yeah. Didn't quite happen yeah. For me. I think that's yeah. what happened with me. Yeah, I can see it. You know, it's different when you see guys live, uh, especially against some of the more better, uh, some of the better competition in the country, too. You're not going to get away with some of the things you, you plan, you know, you thought you could against other teams. And then finally, with uh, Tutu Atwell, I'm totally in agreement with you. The one thing is, you look at his production numbers, it was scarily impressive. I mean, in terms of how much they were able to rely on him to be productive and to be the man, he he stepped up a little bit. So I got to give him credit there. I don't know uh, what his NFL future is going to be like, if it holds. Uh, I had some ball security concerns watching him on tape, fumbles, you know, securing a catch point. Um, as far as his size, I mean, being 149, just two weeks away from the draft did not look good for him. Uh and the funny part is everyone freaks out. And I'm like, well, he was only going to be 155. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so uh, but yeah, you know, I, I I don't know how high people are on him. But to me, I mean, he's, I mean, I've got him low on my board. Mm-hmm. Low, you know, and some people have him off and I can't even fight you over it, yeah. you know? So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm definitely low on him than a lot of guys. Last month, have to take uh, the risk. Yeah. It really is because of that, that mm-hmm. how small he is. And if you were like, you know, four two speed type of guy, like maybe I could see taking the chance in like the fifth round or something like that. But you know, he was only I think he was only about like four four three nine four three. I think it was pro day. So kind yeah, of, I think he was right in the four fours. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty fast. But the only thing that killed me is you know, uh, he didn't always play as fast as he ran. And when you're that kind of tiny, you kind of need to, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And uh, even in the games I watched, you know, he was pretty good, pretty productive in those games, but he never had a game where everyone was like, man, this guy's killing us. You know, what's he doing after the catch? Is he killing people on his routes? Uh, It just, it didn't look, uh, when you're that size, your tape just has to look a certain way. Like Mm -hmm. for instance, with Rondell Moore, you know, know, he, he, he dismantled the team by himself. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was waiting for that kind of tape for uh, uh, Atwell, and I just didn't see it. Absolutely. All right, Montel. Well, we're going to get you out of here. But before we do that, uh, I want you to give a bull prediction that you have for this first round here for the Bears. Anything that you see going on in this first round that, you know, what's your bull prediction here before we get you out of here for the first round? Man, bull prediction, bull prediction. Uh, bull prediction is, man. I don't want to do a conditional bowl prediction. I'll just put it this way. 
I think there aren't going to be as many first round trades as people think. Mm. And specifically, I think if prompted, uh, the Patriots will not draft Mac Jones like everyone's mocking. It wouldn't shock me if the Patriots didn't go quarterback at all in the first round, even if someone fell. I, I just feel like it's not Belichick's MO to trade up. I don't think it's uh, their MO to even draft a first round quarterback. You know, even when they felt like they almost needed a guy, you know, would they end up with Danny Etling? You know, so like uh, just something to think about. I think there's someone they like after the first. Maybe Mac Jones falls. Who knows? But I think the Patriots do not draft a quarterback or make any major moves. I think a lot of the first round trades, you might see one. But I think most of the movement has already happened in terms of draft picks. So that's my bold prediction. Yeah, very interesting for the Bears because, you know, obviously they're going to get a quarterback. They're going to have to move up, obviously, to get a guy in the first round. So we'll, we'll see what happens on draft night. It's certainly going to be exciting. Uh, Montel, where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work at the Bear Report? Sure. Uh, well, you just said it, Bear Report. Uh, that's a CBS uh, Bears affiliate there. So um, I write draft stuff for them. I'll be coming out with a way too early big board this weekend. Uh, following the draft that'll feature the top guys for 2021 you can follow me on twitter at montel nfl that's at m-o-n-t-e-l nfl and uh yeah it's been a, a pleasure to be on with you guys today uh good to talk football and i see a fellow bradley alumni a fellow uh i think uh, who said right. uh, niu alumni he was wearing a shirt so i uh, went to one school for undergrad we went to school for grad school so i feel like i uh, got a good family here now Mm -hmm. I'm actually mm -hmm. at UIC, right? I graduate in like a week and a half or two weeks here, but uh, my cousins okay. went to NIU, right? And so I went gotcha. there for an open house a couple of years ago. So that's why I have the t-shirt. But yeah, I'd have to say NIU definitely has like a special place in my heart. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fun school, man. I'd probably tell you offline about some experience I've had there, but <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's it's been great to be on with you guys and uh, for sure. I'm always down to do it uh, whenever. If I'm allowed back on the show after this series, <laughs> we'll see. We'll have to see what the response is, Montel. You know, some guys, <laughs> uh, listeners may not be too too high on your list here. You never know. Um, yeah. <laughs> all jokes aside, I want to thank you one more time for coming on the show. It's definitely gave uh, gave us a lot of good insight here going to this draft, and uh, yeah, we're gonna see how it happens. Uh, Montel, thank you once again, and uh, hopefully we're talking to you again soon when the draft rolls around. Of course, man. Talk soon. Thanks again. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right. And we're back here at Pace for Pace. Uh, we want to thank Montel one more time for coming on the show. A lot of good stuff here going through all those prospects there. And uh, make sure to give a read on his Sky reports um, you know, before the draft comes up in a couple of days here because he did a lot of great stuff, a lot of in-depth breakdowns on some of these guys, especially some of the bigger name prospects. He really did a nice job with the quarterbacks, I thought, reading through his scouting report. So give that read before the draft. And then, uh, you know, you say for us here to finish off this podcast, what we're going to be doing here is moving on to this first round, kind of talking it over a little bit, kind of preview this thing for the bears, because we went over it a little bit in our mock draft episode last week, but there are a lot of options and a lot of avenues that the bears can traverse here. 
in this first round for when we get there on Thursday night. So you say what I want to do here is go over our best case and worst case scenario for the Bears in the first round. I'll start off with you, Zayden. What is your best case and worst case scenario for the Bears uh, with what they can do here? Best case is they get to move up for Justin Fields. And this obviously, this best case scenario hinges on the 49ers taking one of Trey Lance or Mac Jones. But for the Bears, you're able to move up and acquire Justin Fields, but not give up your 2023 first round pick, I should say, because I think where the Bears are picking at 20, they're going to have to sacrifice the 2022 first round pick. I mean, that's just inevitable. Now, worst case scenario is this, is that the Justin Fields slide kind of continues and then the Detroit Lions do something like trade with the New England Patriots to grab so that the Patriots can effectively grab Justin Fields. And that really is interesting because when we look at the draft order, we realize you're going to have quarterbacks go one, two, three, like we've established. Four is a total toss-up. Atlanta can't get out of Matt Ryan's contract. Five and six, they have two young quarterbacks there in Tagovailoa and Joe Burrow. Seventh overall, you have Detroit. Eight, you have the Panthers who just traded for Sam Darnold. Nine, you have the Broncos. Ten and 11, you have NFC East guys in the Cowboys and the Giants, two teams that have their starting quarterbacks penciled in. So really that seventh overall pick right there for the Bears is the biggest wild card inside the top 10 as well as the top 15 because the Bears know that Detroit's probably not going to deal strike a deal with them all right, especially when it comes to quarterback, because they know teams around the league know the Bears are going to take quarterback. And so really for the Bears, everything kind of hinges on the third and seventh overall pick. To, to recap my little thing here, third overall pick, if the Niners go Jones or Lance, then the Bears have a shot at Justin Fields. But even if Justin Fields continues to slip and he gets to like the seventh overall pick, let's say, there's no guarantee that Detroit would want to trade with the Bears. New England could make a jump up. You could have another team like the Minnesota Vikings, let's say. I know Minnesota's committed to Kirk Cousins, but let's be real. He's only there for like another year or two more, right? So they could be a team that trades up. So really the dominoes are not in the Bears' favors here, but worst case scenario would be that a team just jumps them to trade for fields. Yeah, you know, you kind of mentioned it there. Best case scenario is if I'll kind of expand it a little bit too, because if it's either fields or Trey Lance, I, I would be fine with either one of those guys, because I think, it seems like it's pretty clear right now that Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are going one and two overall. So it leaves your options. You know, if you want to get the guys with the most upside in this class, Trey Lance and Justin Fields are the quarterbacks to go up and get. So I agree. The best case scenario for the bears here is if they can trade up for one of those two quarterbacks, um, that is the ideal situation here because, you know, let's face it here, the bears, they cannot afford to go into next season without a young quarterback to build around here. It just, that's not how it's going to work. They need somebody here to build a franchise around. Otherwise, 2021 is going to be a wasted season in all intents and purposes here. And Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are likely going to be fired uh, once the season is done. So they need to get a young quarterback in here. It's going to be, you know, very important for the franchise as a whole just to have somebody, that rookie contract, that guy to build around. They haven't had a franchise quarterback, you know, since you know, the days of Jim McMahon or even Sid Luckman. Just, that's just hasn't been how it's worked out here for the Bears here. They need to get their guy. And this is a very talented quarterback to take advantage of that. The worst case for me here, though, you know, obviously, honestly, you look at this thing here with the way the board is probably going to fall fall for the Bears here at 20. Even if they can't work out a trade to trade up and get a quarterback, there are a lot of good options here. You can get it off in the tackle in this class. It's a very talented class in this first round. Uh, they can even go with a wide receiver or a quarterback. Those two options would be fine as well with me, although not as well, I think, as a quarterback 
or off at the tackle. But worst case for me is for them to reach for a quarterback. And, you know, some of the guys that we kind of talked about earlier in the show, uh, even though, you know, Montel is very high on a guy like Kellen Mond, he kind of mentioned it too there, you know, that he doesn't really see him as a second round guy or even a first round guy. So if the Bears were to reach for a Kellen Mond in the first round, that would be, again, we kind of talked about, you know, that that's an overdraft, you know, in my opinion. And and he's a guy, you kind of said it earlier too, that he's a guy who's consistently inconsistent. And that's the thing that you know, we saw with Mitch Trubisky here for four years in Chicago. You cannot build around a guy who's just so inconsistent. You just never know what you're going to get out of him on a week-to-week basis. You know, Davis Mills would be another quarterback I talked about being low on. You know, we talked about, you know, there's a lot of hype with him being someone that a lot of NFL people see him as a potential long-term starter going forward. I don't see it. I don't see a special trait with him. Uh, not a lot on tape for him to uh, kind of go through and, and kind of, you know, get the inner workings of his game. That would be the worst case for scenario for me, for them to stay at 20 and over, you know, reach for a quarterback like Davis Mills, like Kellamon. You know, if Mac Jones falls to you at 20, I can live with that. I don't think he's a first round talent in my opinion. I've said that many times before in the past, but at 20, I feel like that value is fine and I can live with it, even though I'm not overly excited about it, but, if those five quarterbacks are off the board and you're reaching for a Kellamon or a Davis Mills, that's where it gets a little bit sketchy for me. And, and that's where uh, things really start to get into, you know, uh, just that's where Bears Twitter is just going to lose its mind, I think, in a, in a negative way, I, w- I would say. And, and I'll add this on in terms of worst case scenario. Another worst case scenario is that I expect offensive tackles to fly off the board outside of Sewell. Who do you have? You have. Derisaw from Virginia Tech, Rashawn Slater, Tevin Jenkins, another one, Liam Eikenberg, Dylan Redunes, a lot of players like you've alluded to, six or seven guys I think could go in the first round at offensive tackle. And I'm not saying six or seven are going to go inside the top 20, but we established this kind of last week or two weeks ago when we previewed the offensive tackles is just that you have Sewell and a lot of the other guys I mentioned, and then you have Eikenberg, Redunes, Jackson, Carmen. One of my biggest fears for the Bears and another worst case scenario was that you have Derisaw Slater as well as Sewell. Those are players and Tevin Jenkins. Those are guys that are all gone within the first 19 picks. I think that's a scenario we have to look at and you have to prepare for because number one, things never go according to plan in the NFL, especially in the draft, which is number two. The 20th overall spot is a prime it's basically prime value for the bears to grab that offensive tackle when we're doing our mock drafts and stuff. But ultimately when you look at it, that's another thing we have to prepare for is if the bears don't land their franchise quarterback, then your second biggest need is offensive tackle. Right. But what happens if one of those four or five guys that I just mentioned, isn't there, then you're stuck between, all right, do we trade down with a team like the New York Jets, let's say, or the Cleveland Browns or the Baltimore Ravens, who I think the Ravens would make perfect sense as a trade partner for the Bears because they pick at 27 and 31st overall. And effectively, Baltimore needs a trade. They need to trade to grab a wide receiver. And I think Terrace Morgan Jr. would be the perfect fit for that offense to help Lamar Jackson develop as a passer. But ultimately, when I look at it, I think that another worst case scenario is missing out on one of these offensive tackles because teams will draft overdraft some of these offensive tackles because like Jenkins, for example, his potential is off the charts. Same thing with Rashawn Slater. Same thing with Darisol. Yeah, we'll see how the offensive tackle uh, class kind of, you know, worked itself out here because like you said, these guys could either be all off the board by the time it gets to the bears or, you know, they could be all on the board for the bears and, you know, they kind of had their pick there, 
which guy they want to go after there. So it's really depending on how the board falls out to them. Even if there isn't an offensive tackle on the board, though, they could still go to a spot like cornerback or wide receiver. So that's why I feel like it's a little bit of a better scenario there. If you're reaching for a quarterback like a Davis Mills or Kalamon, though, then like all hope is lost. You know, for, as Bears fans, we're just we're sad for the next you know months or so until we actually see them on the field, basically. Um, but I think that's a good time to get us to our last thing here, and that's getting our bull predictions. We asked Miles to make a bull prediction. Uh, you said I'll go with you here. Something that doesn't have to necessarily be Bears related, but what is your bull prediction for this first round here on Thursday for the 2021 NFL Draft? So bold prediction, and I know we just got done talking about offensive tackles. You mentioned wide receiver, but my bold prediction is going to be this. I'm going to say Devontae Smith is not the first Alabama wide receiver off the board. I think Jalen Waddell, when we look at the way that the NFL is trending, I think Jalen Waddell goes off the board before Devontae Smith does. And that's not to discredit Devontae Smith and say that Smith is a bad prospect per se because he's great, but one thing with Devontae Smith is the size, right? I think that had we had an actual NFL scouting combine this year, which again is the major part of this draft process, we would have seen more and more concerns about Devontae Smith's size. Now, the size, obviously, I think it will play a factor at the next level, but it's not going to be as big of an issue as a lot of people do make it out to be. Because for a player who's like, whatever, six feet tall, 175 pounds, he still plays much bigger than that. But I still think that in terms of wide receivers, you're going to have Jamar Chase go off the board first because he's the consensus best prospect or the consensus best wide receiver prospect, I should say. And then you have these Alabama guys. I think Jalen Waddle goes before Devontae Smith. That's my bold prediction. Yeah, I think the pick for Jalen Waddle here is number six for Miami, reuniting him with uh, Tua Tagovailoa there. Because, you, you know, you look at here, once you get past the top three there, the quarterback's going off the board. Atlanta, they could go with Cal Pitts at number four overall. It's really possible that the Bengals could go with Jamar Chase at number five. And then what do you know, Jalen uh, Waddle sitting right there at number six for Miami. I think that's where he might end up going on draft day. We know that Miami, they love their Alabama uh, players. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I, I think that's something that could go either way. Devontae Smith might have more of that name recognition as the Heisman winner, so that might have a little bit more clout with uh, some of these teams at the top there. But, yeah, Jalen Waddle brings a lot to the table there. I could see that happening on draft night. So, for my bold take – this is something that we've been kind of, it's been in the news and on Twitter, like it, it seems like constantly. Um, and that's, you know, I think there's too much uh, smoke here for there not to be fire. And I'm going to make this bold prediction. The San Francisco 49ers with the third overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft will take Mac Jones at that selection. And what that's, that will do here is that will open the door for the bears to make a trade up for a quarterback, whether it's fields or Trey Lance I think that's a scenario that could pay, play out here and it all starts because I think Mac Jones will go number three overall. I think there's way too much fire here. Uh, we too too much smoke here. I should say we had Kyle Shanahan's press conference earlier today, his pre-draft press conference, you know, it, it kind of felt like, you know, Mac Jones might be the guy. So, uh, you know, going with that there, I think that happens here and it's going to throw the entire draft into chaos because what is that landed out? now do it number four do they take a quarterback with Lance and Fields both on the board you know what do teams like the Lions do do they take a quarterback at seven or do they trade back uh, for a team looking to get a quarterback and then the Bears obviously we know that once those two become available they're going to be desperate and they're going to 
put all our chips on the table to get one of these two guys here. So I actually came up with the trade actually here. I'm going to get your thoughts on it. You said, um, I think it will happen. It will happen at eight overall with the Carolina Panthers here because Carolina, they need future draft capital because they traded away for Sam Darnold. Here's my trade proposal to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, the Bears give them obviously 20th pick in the draft, 2022 first round pick, 2022 second round pick in exchange. And add this here, the Carolina Panthers, they lost a slot wide receiver in the offseason. They need a slot wide receiver for their offense. Bears trade them Anthony Miller as well for eighth overall and a 2022 third round pick. That's a trade I think that could work here. Uh, a lot of draft capital being given up here. What would your thoughts be in that scenario, you say, if that were to happen? I think it makes perfect sense. And just looking at the way a lot of these big boards are falling and the, a lot of these mock drafts. Now, obviously, mock drafts really don't have an impact on the real draft, but it's always fun to go back, look at the scenarios. I kind of alluded to this, right? Justin Fields and the – well, first thing, forget Justin Fields for a second here, but the Panthers make the most sense because they've already committed to their quarterback in Sam Darnold for the next two years. But overall, just looking at – Let's go back to the Mac Jones prediction for a second. There's a report that came out from Bleacher Report, and we're recording this on a Monday. It came out from Bleacher Report talking about how the 49ers organization is split because you have Kyle Shanahan that wants Mac Jones, but then you have all the scouts and the rest of the organization that wants Trey Lance. I think anytime you have that organizational divide and then factor in the press conference where John Lynch pretty much didn't directly say this, but what he was basically saying is, hey, I will let Kyle Shanahan get the final say on the quarterback. That means that I think Mac Jones is a real possibility. Now, here's the deal. Mac Jones, yeah, the guy's limited, like we've established. Yeah, the guy may, in certain cases, you could argue, depending on who you talk to, be a product of the talent around him at Alabama. But overall, he's going to be a player, right? That is good enough. And I think that one of the big things that oftentimes a lot of people forget when it comes to these quarterbacks is it's all about offensive fit, right? How do you build around these guys and so a team like the 49ers that sees Mac Jones fitting into their offense with the way Kyle Shanahan does things you know what they are going to have Mac Jones graded significantly higher than a prospect like Justin Fields for example or a team like the Detroit Lions or the Denver Broncos that do not run the similar Kyle Shanahan offense and I think that the quarterback fit is the one big thing that we are just not factoring in here it's not just the fact that oh well so-and-so guy went to this school so-and-so guy went to this school yeah it's really fascinating because you know you look at it here Trey Lance is almost like a perfect fit for that scheme in terms of the bootleg action they have the athleticism to get out on the move on those on those bootlegs and those rollouts and all that stuff you're moving the pocket it's just interesting because uh, Kyle Shanahan, he obviously has, obviously it seems like that he just likes what Mac Jones does overall from a cerebral sort of things, even, even though I think Trey Lance could easily just pick up the playbook as easily as Mac Jones. But I, I don't know. It, it's crazy when we get to this time of the year, there's just so much going on. And I just, I just want to get to the draft already because the anticipation is waiting for it is just way too much at this point. So with that, I think this is a good time to wrap it up here. And, you know, the next time that you're going to see us is going to be on draft night, basically, when we're, we're going to be breaking down this draft, hopefully. Um, so you said uh, we're going to follow you on Twitter and find your work, man, as we uh, wrap this thing up. Yeah, guys, so you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. It's just my first and last name. Check out my work on the Bear Report. All right. We're going to have a lot of draft stuff coming up this weekend. 
Also, just a quick thing, me, my, well, myself, Andrew, and our publisher, Zach Pearson, we're going to be going live on Friday around 2 or 3 p.m. Central Time, just on YouTube, Periscope, Facebook, Twitter, talking, re, you know, recapping the first round of the draft look for the Bears, looking ahead to day two, and then also breaking down the Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy press conferences. So that's just some bonus live stream content that's coming your way. We'll throw something up on the boards, but be sure to tune in for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure, we'll make sure to keep you guys updated on that. Uh, follow us at Picks for Pace on Twitter. We're going to be posting more updates for that as we get along this week here. Uh, yeah, it's going to be really exciting to get to that live stream there. We haven't really done that before here on, at Picks for Pace, but that should be a really fun thing to do. And hopefully we get a lot of good interactions with a lot of our listeners on there. Um, hopefully some passion, hopefully some, uh, some good passion there because uh, that would mean that the Bears made the right pick in the first round, but we'll see what happens when we get to that. Uh, as for myself, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. You can find my work at the Bear Report as well. Um, I got a few Sky reports on there over the last week or so. I'm going to have probably one or two more uh, before the draft comes along here. Uh, we'll see what happens for that, though, as well. So, yeah, looking forward to this draft here. Looking forward to this live stream. It's going to be a hectic week in the NFL. And with the draft here, it's here. We're excited for it. It's just a matter of, you know, having it come to pass and seeing what goes down. So to all of you Bears fans, to all of our listeners, we want to thank you one more time for tuning in. We want to thank Montel one more time for coming on the podcast. And uh, yeah, Bear Down Bears fans, it's going to be a hectic week. So we'll join you there on our live stream and we'll be break down the draft as a whole next week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.